Seinfeld, the gymnast, is over, but we are just getting started here on Seinfeld, the post-show recap. And now, here are the two guys who always podcast in 3D. I'm Rob Sister, and here's Akiva Winokur. Akiva, how are you? I thought you were going to say we always eat from the garbage. <laughs> we always podcast with our shirts off. Yeah, there's so many you could do with this one. So we're ready to talk about The Gymnast, which I said last week coming into this, I felt like this was an episode that I didn't really like, but I thought this was pretty fun on the rewatch. Yes, there's uh, there's a lot of memorable things that maybe you don't associate with because maybe the main storyline doesn't have a lot of like historically important uh, aspects to it, but the, a lot of the su- the subplots are are memorable and there there is a lot i don't know if the whole episode is is perfect but there's a lot going on that's worthwhile yeah the actual storyline about jerry dating the gymnast i think was probably the least funny or memorable part of the episode but there's a lot of other stuff that's good that's happening around that yeah all three you know b stories are better than jerry's all right so we're going to talk about that which aired originally on november 3rd 1994 and much more. We are also going to be having a, another guest here on the podcast. Not somebody from the episode, but one of our listeners who answered a very important question for us a lot quicker than we anticipated it on last week's podcast. And that was, what are all of the questions that we had for Jerry Seinfeld in case we ever get that interview sort of spur of the moment? Boom. We have those answers now at the ready. We're going to be talking to one of our listeners, Sean Falconer, who had a really ingenious way in which he answered that question, Keeve. Uh, Yeah, I feel like uh, we'll let him explain it later. But it's, uh, you know, everyone I was thinking like there's a few people that email every week more and more. But there's, you know, you get the Johnny D. Silveras and the Chesters and the Amirs and the Craig from Vancouver. Mm -hmm. And I I feel like that may have been the Mount Rushmore. But now goodbye, Chester. Hello, Sean. (laughs) Okay, we will talk with Sean after the recap before we get into the voicemails about a really uh, amazing thing that he did involving the Seinfeld post-show recap. A little bit of a tease uh, there for this. Okay, so Akiva, before we get into talking about the episode, any big Seinfeld news from the week gone by? Well, I really wanted to discuss, I know you have a Saturday Night Live podcast, but I wanted to just uh, talk uh, Larry David on Saturday Night Live uh, uh, with you for a minute or two, if you don't mind. That's fine. So uh, what what do you think of the episode? Because I thought it was great. I thought it was the best episode of the season. Certainly a pretty, pretty, pretty good outing for SNL. I talked about the whole thing when we did our SNL recap here on Poster Recaps, but I thought that that was the best episode from the season. I don't think it was close. Yeah, I feel like there was a few, incre- if people haven't seen it, a few really memorable uh, sketches that are worth checking out. Uh, what was your favorite? I think that the uh, Burn Your Enthusiasm was easily i think the sketch of the night i felt like that was my favorite but there's a couple of ones that are sort of like under the radar the final sketch of the night where he's at the bar i think was really really a strong one i also liked where the sketch where actual bernie sanders came out that was really good as well but there was no like disasters in terms of and usually on snl you get a couple of sketches where my co-host on the snl recap rich tackenberg will typically say oh boy but for me, I think that that was a night where we avoided any sort of like ones where we just totally fell off the map. Yeah, it's funny because you mentioned a bunch that were great, including like most significantly the burn your enthusiasm, which it was funny because he wasn't trying to be it was, it's hard to see like what parts of it were curb, right? And which parts were Bernie? <laughs> Zero parts were Bernie other than people were calling him Bernie Sanders. Uh, right. But but, it, you know, some of the some of the curb impressions were incredible. I think uh, Taryn Killam, what did he do? Funkhauser? Yeah. 
Yeah, that was that was great. Uh, they didn't really bust out the Cheryl. They had a Cheryl, but they, she barely spoke. Yeah. But um, it's funny you mentioned some great sketches, but I thought the best one was the FBI simulator. One was amazing. <laughs> you know, I also heard that the dress rehearsal from that, where they did a run through of it, and I guess Larry David is just like breaking every time they do it, and they have that up on YouTube. I haven't watched it yet, but people have told me you have to check that out. Yeah, I I, uh, I watched it on YouTube, and it yeah. I mean, he literally, it's its five minutes, even at the dress rehearsal where you're supposed to be serious, you know, when you're in costume, uh, he, you know, he's dressed in an amazing orange suit and he, and he can't even start. Like he's laughing so hard. Yeah. You know, it's hard for him to get out. Uh, can a bitch get a donut? Can a bitch get a donut? <laughs> <laughs> so we'll see. We'll find out if can a bitch get a, an eclair in this episode of Seinfeld that we're about to talk about too. Yeah. But I guess it probably, if you're a writer, like to have Larry David on the floor like that probably feels pretty good. Yeah. So it's a very fun episode of SNL. And again, if you want to check out our recap, you can hear that on postshowrecaps.com. Any other Seinfeld news before we dive in? Uh, I think that's uh, I think that's about it. You know, somebody did point out uh, while we're talking about SNL. I guess I'll, I'll just read this letter now. Go for it. Nate wrote to us and said, hey, guys, I've been catching up on your Seinfeld podcast during the Survivor offseason. I've been enjoying quite a bit. I started at the beginning of the year and I'm up to season four. So this question is not about the gymnast. But he said, one of the things I've, I've enjoyed the most is you guys comment about how bad the Mets were doing at that time, and you look forward to, you know, and he, he looks forward to, you know, hearing us go on and on as they get better, because at one point, you know, we wrote them off a lot of times. But he said what prompted him to send the email is in the season four finale, we were talking about Jerry's history with Saturday Night Live that he only hosted twice, and Akiva, that's me, said it would be great to see Larry David host an episode, but you know that's never happening. Mm-hmm. And he said, well, Akiva, I'm so glad that you're wrong about it never happening, because it certainly was pretty, pretty great. Uh, now that I think of it, maybe I'll never catch up on your podcast because I'll keep a seven month buffer. And it's a fun feeling since he feels like he knows the future. Yeah, that's great, because then you can go ahead and fact check us and all the times that we're wrong about stuff, especially if you go through this baseball season. I'm sure all the things that we said, and I think that it even got cut out of the podcast when we really around the trade deadline were the most just like uh, this team is a joke. <laughs> Sell the team. Sell the team. They don't have a hitter. I mean, there was that one day where before we came on, before we even started recording, I was saying the Mets should be sellers. It's not happening in 2015. Uh, that they're not. They're more than one player away. Forget about it. So really, we are just not correct about anything when it comes to baseball. Hopefully, we get some things right. Yeah, but I do feel like if you're if you're listening now. You could probably make another list and you don't have to go back and do this, Sean, but make another list of just things we were wrong about. I don't know how you'd write that program. Uh, Yeah, I don't know how you would write the algorithm. I know it would be very hard. You'd have to actually listen. But I feel like uh, it would be it would be a much longer list than the article he wrote. Sure. All right. So let's get into it. Let's talk about this recap of the gymnast, of course, going back to November 1994 in an episode that's written by Berg and Schaefer. Have these guys done an episode before that we've talked about? No. So they joined for season six and uh, they went on to become, you know, two of the main writers on Curb Your Enthusiasm. Uh, And then um, Schaefer is uh, probably most well known now as uh, with along with his wife as creators of uh, the show, The League, the recently departed show, The League. That's their show. Very interesting. And there is, you know, there's like a Seinfeld, you know, e aspect of that, that all the people are terrible and, and that sort of thing. Do you watch the league? I did watch the league. It really slipped in the last few seasons. It was very, it was really original when it came on. But I feel like they went to the, and you could tell some of the actors like Nick Kroll and people would like, even in interviews, kind of make fun of the show by the end that there's only so many times, you know, you can, 
it's it's the same formula every year where they start a fantasy football league and the first episode is the draft and the last episode is the championship. You know, they really just repeated the same thing eight times. So by season four or five, you sort of jump the shark. But it was on its best days. It was a really funny show. And and the character. Yeah, did you ever see it? Yeah, I used to try to watch it, but I felt like that the fantasy football part of it was just so wrong and incorrect. Yeah. Like the same sort of thing, like where. My dad, who was a NYPD police officer, would like get annoyed watching cop shows that were saying, right. like, oh, it never happened like that. It was that same sort of thing with me with the fantasy football was just so absurd and right. so untrue to life that it took me out of it. He wasn't an NYPD blue fan, your dad? <laughs> I don't think he used to. Was, like, was he like, oh, they'd never he'd never show his butt, really? Right. <laughs> it would get on his nerves. Sure. Um, yeah, but, I, but the, the best part about the league was, was the character Rafi played by Jason Manzoukas. That was worth watching for alone when he would come in. Okay. All right. So we will talk about that in our 2018 joint The League post-show recap episode. No, don't promise because then people will ask us for it in three years. <laughs> Go back. And I didn't see. even want to watch that a lot of those episodes the first time. Right. We'll be like, oh, my God, I can't believe that they uh, decided to keep uh, like we'll just really like pile on the football stuff. Oh yeah, well that would be fun if we just do the football analysis. The one thing that they do do is like by season four or five when the show has gotten more popular, they at least acknowledge like how bad the football stuff is. They're a little bit more self-deprecating at that point. Okay, all right. So let's get into talking about the gymnast, and this opens up where Jerry is talking about toilet seats. Uh, of course, uh, this episode is going to have a few tie-ins with George coming out of the bathroom. Jerry talks about why do they make bizarre toilet seats, the Lucite toilet seat with the coins in it. Do you remember ever seeing a toilet seat like this? No, I wrote in my notes, what is he talking about? I have no idea what he's saying. <laughs> is, is Jerry, did Jerry used to like mistake fountains at malls for toilets? No, they used to have this. And I remember like being in different like stores. My parents used to drag me to all these horrible stores when I was a kid and like whatever pergament or whatever that like was before Home Depot and you would go through like the houseware type stuff. And I remember seeing that. And that was actually, I wanted that. I thought that that was very a novel concept as like an eight-year-old, ten-year-old kid. Yeah, that was, really there was. And that you didn't have like phones or anything. Then. It was really horrible. You have to, ever have to go to like fortune offs? Oh, yeah, yeah. Brutal, terrible things. Yeah, yeah I, I, like you couldn't. It's funny because like we, you look back fondly on your childhood sometimes. But like you couldn't pay me a billion dollars to go into one of those stores for five seconds now. Yeah. You know, we really grew up in the worst possible time of like pre iPhone, but like post where we would have just like if we were born like further back, we would have just like had to like stay on the farm all day. And sure. Right. As we've established that we would not have been good farm people. Right. But at least we would never have known about the iPhone. I think we <laughs> like we sort of now can look back. I'm like, oh, shoot. We and wasted. as I've said, if I was 80 when the Internet came out, I would have just that would have been it for me. Right. <laughs> so we had to go to horrible stores. But I do remember saying like, oh, like I, w- I hope we get that toilet seat. I feel like that would be very exciting. It's such a I feel like we're Long Islanding ourselves. Like King Cullen. Was there a lot of King? Cullen oh, still in? a lot of King Cullens. You're sure. Oh, you still do King Cullen? Yeah. <laughs> On Long Island, sure. It's like right around the corner from like my uh, uh, Nicole's parents' house. I'm Key Food or, or GTFO. <laughs> no ShopRite? Uh, there's no ShopRites near me, I don't think. I mean, now, now it's like, uh, now, now there's like these super, like, uh, you know, kosher superstores. So they like put all the Key Foods out of business where I grew up. Oh, sad story. All right. So George is continuing on his relationship with Lindsay, the woman who was making him read Breakfast at Tiffany's. There is a little bit of a mention of that at the top of the episode. 
And so George is going to swing by with Lindsay to go see Lindsay's mother. Yeah, I think it's worth mentioning that Lindsay is in two episodes and I think has three lines total. (laughs) Yeah. So Lindsay, as Chester pointed out in last week's voicemail, went on to play Ross's ex-wife on Friends. That was where we recognized her from. And so we ended up seeing her go on to have a much bigger thing to come in 1994. But yeah, she has a very small role for a two-time girlfriend here on Seinfeld. Yeah, not much. Her mom speaks more than she does. Yeah. So George is talking about how he's very excited to go see the mother because that's really his thing, that if he could talk to the mothers, mothers love him. If he could talk to the mothers and have sex with the daughters, then he'd really have something. Oh, boy. How are you with the mothers? Oh, fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Now, the mo- uh, does that extend to like your friends' moms growing up? Were you like the kid, like, oh, you shouldn't invite Rob more over more often? <sighs> Hard to say. I feel like I would have had to have more friends like me to have <laughs> like met the mothers. I'm sure the mothers would like me. I'm really like, if you had a kid, you would probably want the younger me to like, because I'm not doing anything dangerous, really. Right, right. It's probably <laughs> ideal because like you're not doing anything bad and you're probably staying indoors a lot and not causing a lot of trouble. Right. I don't look like trouble. Right. Like there's nothing wrong with the, like the kids sitting down and watching some TV or something. <laughs> right. Right. And again, same thing where, you know, the mothers probably like George, like me more than the daughters. Yeah. The daughters is also has always been my issue. <laughs> sure. Anyway, so we end up with Kramer coming in. He comes in. He wants to know, does Jerry have a hammer? Yeah. Which is weird because he doesn't even have he wants the hammer for his poster, but he doesn't even have the poster yet. Right. A lot of talk in this episode about the 3D art, the magic eye if you will. Akiva, did you ever mess around with any of this stuff? Nah, it, would, it was maybe two seconds of entertainment for me. <laughs> yeah, I always struggled with seeing the thing. I remember like getting like a book of this stuff and I would like look at it and then I would get like a really bad headache. I would become like nauseous after looking at the magic eye for more than a couple minutes. It's true. Yeah. yeah then you like see like the, the like the blue out of your eyes and stuff. It's not there's there's no reason. I don't, there's a reason it, it didn't really take off. I feel like it must have been 3D art must have been like the pogs of of this year, you know, when the show is being uh, filmed in 1994, that like it's such a big deal that it gets its own episode. Yeah. So George is in the bathroom during this conversation and Kramer starts talking to him through the door and Jerry says, can you give him a minute? George ends up coming out and he is buttoning up his shirt. We learned that George likes to take his shirt off in the bathroom. Akiva, does this make sense to you in any way? Well, it doesn't make sense that, like, unless he just started it today, which he doesn't say, I just started it, like, I saw someone else do it, and I'm, you know, starting to do it myself. Like, how do they not know ever that he's been doing this when, you know, if he's been doing it since he was a kid? Right. Like, how's Jerry unaware? Um, and it doesn't make sense, like, why are you taking your shirt off? Why not your pants? I'm not, I'm not sure what's going on. I don't really understand either. And to me, it's just not canon. I feel like that we've seen George specifically in the Vanderlei Industries moment in the episode during The Boyfriend, I don't see how we wouldn't have already seen this on the show, George coming out of the bathroom without a shirt on. So non-canon. I feel like it's non-canon. I feel like it was invented in this episode. And then I'm not sure, does it come up in later episodes too? I don't believe it does. I don't think, he, there's a lot of bathroom talk and, and George peeing and stuff, but I don't think he takes a shirt off again. Yeah. I mean, I could almost see it if you sort of like had like another shirt on underneath, like a maybe like a, it's sort of like um if you were sort of like had a shirt on as like a jacket that wasn't tucked in or something like that. But I just feel like 
wouldn't the back of the toilet seat be very cold to take your shirt off? I mean, maybe it's the summer, but they're dressed very warmly. Like they're, they're dressed like with long sleeves and long pants. Right. And and are you right? And it's almost, it's getting closer to the summer's over when, you know, if you're talking about if, if the day is the day that the episode aired in November. I think also like you're not doing this in a public bathroom, right? You're not like taking your shirt off in a public bathroom. That would be insane. I feel like that would be Jerry's natural question, which doesn't come up. Yeah. So, I mean, there's a we could really do a whole half hour of just pinning george down on this but uh, yeah i agree it's it's maybe something he thought would you know would start being his thing and he's playing it off like it's been his thing all along kramer also grabs at his midsection he's having some sort of pain in this episode we will find out later on it is kidney stones yeah not fun not fun at all so we see elaine for the first time she's over at mr pitt's office and we find out that mr pitt does not want Elaine to be using a fountain pen. It was only a couple episodes ago that Mr. Pitt wanted Elaine to get mechanical pencils. So Mr. Pitt does seem very anti-ink. Yeah, and everything ties together in this episode, but a lot of it is are things like, you know, George going, George taking, you know, they seemingly minor things, like George going to the bathroom with a shirt, Kramer with these kidney issues, and Mr. Pitt, you know, talking about ink. And they're almost like all three of them are minor, but then they end up being like the three sort of major things at the end. Yeah. Do you like that? In general, what you want is it's fine to be subtle. Like it is good to surprise the, the you know, the viewer. So I, there's a fine mix of it. Like this is one of the more extreme examples of like minor things being sort of the, uh, you know, the, the key plot point at the end. But it's a little too subtle that, you know, if it's like, oh, who cares about, you know, I barely remember that he mentioned the fact about the ink, then it's, you know, it doesn't pay off as well as if it's like the main plot point. Mm -hmm. And also, I would say that I feel like maybe other than Kramer with his kidney stone and the Jerry gymnast storyline, I feel like when Seinfeld really excels, when Seinfeld really, uh, much like Misha walking on the tightrope in this episode, it's great when the thing from the beginning ends up paying off in the end, but we have more cross-pollination where it's almost like the beginning of the Elaine storyline ends up having to do with the end of the Elaine storyline or the beginning of the George storyline ends up being towards the end. Like there's very little crossing of the streams. Yes, in this episode in particular, I agree. And the, and the alternative to that is, I guess, the other storyline, which is what Misha that you mentioned, where we don't even meet him until there's like three minutes ago in the episode. Right, that circus storyline ends up coming out of left field right at the end. Yeah. Much like Cespedes at the trade deadline. <laughs> That's right. Anyway, and the free agency period. But that's a whole different thing that we'll talk about in seven months when we're wrong about the Mets uh, being good this year. But anyway, Akiva, so also we get this storyline about the merger between these two water companies, Poland Creek and Morgan Springs. Yeah. Is there a Morgan? Obviously, there's a Poland Springs. Is there a Morgan Creek? No, I think that they just wanted to try to come up with something that sounded like Poland Springs and then maybe add in. Other, I don't have never heard of Morgan Creek water. Yeah, neither have I. But um, yeah, I think, uh, by the way, I don't know if you know this, but if there's a big merger, then the board meeting only has three people at it and you're allowed to send your secretary. <laughs> sure thing. <laughs> yeah. And I'm not sure exactly how we have Mr. Pitt being associated with this. There is a Morgan Creek production company. Yeah, I think the only thing I remember is I think that's like before Ace Ventura because I saw that so many times when I was a kid. I feel yeah. like that was the production company for Ace Ventura. So I wonder if maybe somebody had some sort of a tie-in there and then they, they needed another name. They said, oh, what about Morgan Creek? Sure. Anyway, so there is a big water meeting that's coming up that Mr. Pitt is a very important person needs to be at that meeting. 
So uh, we end up with Kramer that he's coming to Elaine's office because Elaine is framing photos for Mr. Pitt, but she's also like sort of like wrapping them up in paper. I'm not really sure where they're being transported to. And as a favor to Kramer, she also decided to frame his 3D art. All this seems just rather implausible. Yeah, there's a lot of like forced sort of uh, tie-ins here. Like, is, is is she just, is this like stealing? Is she just giving Kramer one of Mr. Pitt's frames and they happen to get caught, but Mr. Pitt doesn't care because he's mesmerized by the 3D art? <laughs> I guess so. So Kramer starts like unwrapping the paintings and then he finds the one that's the 3D art. And Kramer, again, very taken with the 3D art and how they are generated by computers, big computers. Is that how these things happen, Akiva? Oh, I have no idea. I, all computers were big computers back then. Yeah. So Kramer is really into the 3D art. and He's like talking it up to Mr. Pitt. And one of the things he says to Mr. Pitt is, do you ever dream in 3D? It's like the boogeyman is coming right at you. Akiva, is there two-dimensional versus three-dimensional dreaming? You know, I'd never thought of it before this, but probably not. I once had a friend tell me he dreams in text sometimes. Text? Yeah, like the word, like, yeah, the words just come up on the screen. But I don't know. I don't know. I don't know anything about 3D dreams. Well, that's the most interesting thing I've ever heard. <laughs> yeah, we should get him on. Yeah. Is he dreaming that he's reading or it's just like a black screen and the words are going by? You know, I, I, I remember him saying it in high school. I can send him an email, but... uh yeah, you book know, him you know. on the podcast. Okay, he's booked. <laughs> he doesn't really respond to my call. He's a busy doctor, but I'll try and get him on. <laughs> Send it in a dream email. See if he could reach him that way. All right, I'll, I'll, I'll do like urgent. I'll do what I did in college, which is like I'll put, I'll put urgent in like the email uh, headline with my roommate. And, it, and like, But then you open up the email and it's like, uh, I forgot to get dinner. Can, when you're in the cafeteria, can you pick me up some dinner, please? <laughs> anyway, so Kramer has an attack again. He has to run off, doesn't even take his painting with him. But he leaves it with Mr. Pitt, who then starts staring at the 3D painting. And uh, Mr. Pitt will be preoccupied with this throughout most of the episode. Yeah, and it feels like it's going nowhere, but it kind of goes somewhere. All right. So we end up seeing George at this sort of meet and greet with Lindsay's mom's friends, which I'm not really understanding what happened there other than maybe like was the mom having like a luncheon and George and Lindsay were invited guests. It seems like Lindsay's mom does a lot of entertaining. She really does. I'm not even understanding what was going on at the end of the episode, this big party that she's having there. But so they have this sort of luncheon and George is a big hit and he's holding court. Everybody is loving George. And so Lindsay is going to walk Nana and Aunt Phyllis to the elevator. George, everything is going good with Mrs. Enright. And so he's carrying a bunch of dishes into the kitchen. There is an interesting door situation on the kitchen. Akiva, have you found many doors leading into a kitchen? No, most kitchens do not have doors. Yes. They push both ways. And so not only is there a door on the kitchen in Mrs. Enright's house, there is the ability for the door to remain open here. It's like some sort of a swinging door, but it didn't like close automatically. And it remains open to the point where when George is able to put the garbage into the trash, he sees an eclair at the top of the trash. And of course, we know what's going to happen, that George is going to reach for the eclair, take it out of the garbage and eat it while Mrs. Enright is able to sneak up behind him. So a lot of business to unpack here with all of this. Akiva, first off, before we get into the eclair, the idea of how this is presented to us, 
is this as bad as the Enrights make it out to be? No, I don't think this is a deal breaker. Like if you saw, you know, you might say, oh, that's funny. Like he's not a germaphobe or anything. I, you'd have to really be like, you know, really upper society to, to, you know, basically, you know, write someone off because they eat out of the garbage once. Yeah, we saw exactly how it was. The whole thing did seem pretty sanitary overall based on what we saw presented. It was on top of something. It was on the doily. The idea that it's there, like just being as somebody who has worked as a waiter before, like I wouldn't be above, especially at the time, you know, oh, here's an a piece of dessert that like is on a ta- on a plate. It doesn't look like it's been eaten. Again, we'll talk about the actual eclair itself, but the just the idea of how it was, that's not a major turnoff for me. And I would say that I'm a pretty okay germaphobe. Like I'm not super crazy or anything like that, but I'm also not like a, one of these granola hippies or anything like that. Well, how about this? If someone in your family drinks from a bottle of water, you'll drink from it, right? Is it my wife? Your wife. Yeah, I would do it if it was like my wife's water. I wouldn't do it if it was like my brother's water. Or... Oh, so really? Even your brother, you're not drinking from that? No. Even if he's not no. sick or anything? No, no, no thank okay. you. So that's a pretty high-level germaphobe. Yeah. So I don't have a big problem with the way that this eclair was. It's sort of, it's face up. It's on the doily. It's in there. It's in a bag. I don't have an issue with this. Now, where I do have an issue, though, is that it is an eclair that has a bite taken out of it. And George reaches in and he takes out the eclair and he bites it on the end that already is bitten. It makes no sense why he would do it this way. It does make no sense. I guess if you're going to play George's devil's advocate here, in his mind, he's going to eat the whole eclair. So it doesn't really matter which side he starts from. He knows where it came from. It came from Aunt Phyllis, who we just kissed, he said, right? Mm-hmm. So why, you know, why exactly? He didn't make out with her. He didn't make out with her, no. <laughs> They're not on like, uh, you know, uh, spit swapping terms. But I right. think, I think uh, you know, if he's going to eat the whole thing, then I'm not sure why it matters. Now, the only thing I could say in George's defense is that the eclair is filled with some sort of a cream. And because the integrity of the eclair has already been broken by the bite, if George bites it from the opposite end, does that send a avalanche of cream coming out the back end in a very messy situation? I'm not, I, I'm not really an eclair. To me, the most disgusting thing of the whole scene is anybody eating an eclair. <laughs> yeah, I don't think it's too bad. I probably haven't had one in, I don't know, 10 years, 15 years, but I remember it being sort of decent. Right. I'd rather eat like a pie out of the garbage than an eclair from the packet. <laughs> Well, you love pie. Would you eat I cake do. out of the garbage? Before before chocolate? Uh, uh, yeah, before chocolate, yes. Well, yeah, is that the problem, that the eclair is covered with chocolate on the top? Is that the big turn Oh, off? sure, yeah. I don't know. There's, there's nothing in there that interests me. Okay. Anyway, so uh, in typical George fashion, he is busted, and then uh, Mrs. Enright uh, sees him, and he uh, runs away screaming. Again, shades of a couple of different George things that we've seen before. It's almost very similar to uh, I was in the pool. I was in the pool. Sort of like George gets busted and then he has to go after chasing somebody. Yeah, it is similar. But, you know, there it's like she saw what she saw. Here there's room for debate. Oh, you know, Rob, uh, Mrs. Enright, you know whose mom she was also? Not just uh, Lindsay's mom. Who? She was uh, Aunt Becky's mom on Full House. (laughs) Oh. I don't remember if you're a Full House guy or not. 
Oh, I, I am. I'm, but not to the detail that I could remember who played. I mean, I, I, it's mom. not like I remember that. I saw it on IMDb. But she Is she coming there. back for Fuller House? Ooh, good question. I, I That would be a real... Rob? Yes. She's not coming back for Fuller House. Oh, no. Don't tell me. I, I'm not going to tell you. I'm just telling you she's not going to be back. Let's just say her agent said no. <laughs> Is she coming back for anything? I, I'm not a religious... You know, I, I'm a religious man. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> okay. Anyway... So we back, go back to Elaine and Mr. Pitt looking at the 3D artwork and Elaine can see the spaceship. Mr. Pitt cannot. Did you ever see the movie Mallrats, Akiva? I know. Yes. Oh, yeah, you yeah, have. have. Oh, yeah. look at this. I, I actually hate Kevin Smith, but I've seen the movie Mallrats. <laughs> yeah. And that's sort of a plot line in that movie of uh, it's a schooner, you know, who can see the 3D art and who can't. Yeah, I don't I don't even remember that. All right. Anyway, so Elaine ends up answering the phone as it's ringing. Mr. Pitt is too distracted with the 3D art. And so, of course, hey, it's the meeting, Mr. Pitt. You have to be there for the Poland Creek merger. Mr. Pitt says, Elaine, why don't you go for me? Uh, Yeah, I mean, to me, I I guess he's like he doesn't work for the company, but he's on the board, which is reasonable for a really wealthy guy. But the idea that there's, you know, three people and one of them is sending their secretary is pretty interesting to me. Yeah. So Elaine is off to the meeting. We'll check in with her in a minute. So we end up seeing Jerry dating Katya and she is a gymnast. Of course, we mentioned it in the episode title, but I don't think I mentioned it in that first scene where they very briefly talked about, hey, that, you know, that woman you saw me with, she is a Romanian gymnast. And so here is Katya Akiva, just real quick, what is your take on the character of Katya? They don't give her much to do, honestly. You know, it's uh, she's one of those side characters where the thing about her is more interesting than her, you know, her herself. Like she doesn't have any funny lines and her big thing is a monologue at the end. Yeah. Uh, that we'll talk about later. But yeah, I mean, she's playing with Jerry here, but I don't know other than the fact that she's pretty. Like, how'd they meet? You know, I don't know how, how they started going out. That doesn't really make sense to me. Yeah, we have no idea on the backstory. We have no idea if there was a meet cute between Jerry and Katya how they ultimately got set up. But what I also forgot to mention at the top of talking about this episode was that once Jerry tells Kramer, hey, that woman is a gymnast, Kramer puts the bug in Jerry's head over that, hey, she's a gymnast. This opens the door to all sort of sexual pleasures because she's so flexible. And Kramer pushes Jerry and says, you can't miss the opportunity to have sex with this woman because it's going to perhaps literally blow your mind it's going to be incredible and that uh, jerry can't miss out on this opportunity yeah jerry is uh, not interested for a while like he's not really buying it until later yeah he's reticent about it he says what do i have to talk to her about she's romanian I'm gonna talk about uh Ceausescu. was that the right name yeah. <laughs> the romanian dictator yeah yeah okay and overall, I just feel like that this plot line about the, you know, having sex with this woman just because of who she is, in some ways, I feel like that it's similar to the Miss America storyline from the premiere of this season where Jerry just wants the prestige of being with this person. This, I guess, is a little bit different. And you know, I also feel like it's similar to Jerry dating the masseuse where it's like, okay, I only want to be with this woman because of this one physical thing that she does, but it, she does not deliver on that one thing that he wants. Right. Or Sidra even. Mm-hmm. Sure. So yeah, it's I a think a bit of a theme. Yeah, with Jerry. I agree. I, it's, and there's a lot more telling than showing here also. So it's, it's off the screen, but it's not even like hilarious things that are happening off the screen. Okay. So Jerry is in his car talking with Katya and Again, she is sort of being, I guess, seductive with him, talking about that uh, we have a very bad dictator in Ceausescu. He could dictate any time of day. 
Uh, yeah, but I think they're also showing like, oh, they don't really have much to talk about here. Mm-hmm. They'll have a scene in the car later on where uh, she's uh, really uh, enticing Jerry more, talking about her flexibility. So Jerry and George are talking. And again, it's always funny when something happens to George and then there's the, like, the retelling of that with Jerry at Monk's. And Jerry always does a really good job of framing uh, like Mr. Pitt's 3D art <laughs> in, in a great way. And so Jerry is asking George precisely, was what he ate trash or not? Yeah, and I do. I, you're right. I do. They do a good job, which most shows sort of don't bother with of, uh, re, you know, like even though they, they know the audience has seen it, like they need Jerry to find out. So. You know, it's it, they restating it without being boring and, you know, getting to the point quickly. You're right. And this might be some of the funniest conversation in the episode between Jerry and George talking about was it in the trash or was it on top of the trash? Uh, Jerry decrees adjacent to refuse is still refuse. Right. And they do. They talk about in the cylinder above the rim, which is a goaltending <laughs> joke. Mm hmm uh jerry also in these scenes like you know it's really when he's at his best also and i love just like the sort of business of him holding the coffee and maybe it speaks to why he does comedians in cars getting coffee but i feel like just when he has that prop to work with of the cup of coffee i feel like it really helps some of the dialogue that he has like when he says the you know adjacent to refuse is still refuse, uh, and when George is saying like he just took one bite out of it, or there was only one bite already taken out of it, and Jerry's like just sort of like holding up the coffee cup, he's like, "Well, that's garbage." Well, it's possible Jerry because he's not like physically gifted as a performer. Like maybe maybe he's just funnier like sitting down, you know. Or when he doesn't have to worry about like where his hands are going. That's interesting because he is a stand-up comedian, ironically. But I feel like that in the business of standing up, you're not really acting out too much. You're sort of like standing in one spot. And yeah, so it's like a standing desk. Yeah, I feel like sitting down is almost acting for a comedian. You're sort of like, you know, just you don't have to worry about sort of like the object work and the physicality of it. I think you're onto something. Yeah, maybe we should have tracked that from the beginning. Now we got to go back. But I think... Uh, <laughs> Uh, yeah, maybe like the scenes at Monk's or when Jerry's at his best. Who knows? Yeah, we'll talk to Sean about that. And so <laughs> there's an interesting thing that comes up in this conversation where Jerry first introduces the idea that George has crossed the line that divides man and bum. You're now a bum, he tells him. Uh, yeah, I d you know, it is. It, I don't know. I mean, to me, it's not so bummy, but I guess uh, to some people it is. Well, at this point, it also sort of shifts <laughs> that the storyline is like, is George being mistaken for a bum? Is he a homeless person? And, you know, I have some more thoughts on that as we get to the final scene of the episode. But we're really going to hit that note pretty hard here coming up in just a little bit on the street. Yeah. All right. So here comes Kramer. He talks about that he has a stone and we have the introduction of Kramer's kidney stone. He talks about that, about how it is an abnormality, which is formed in the kidney, and it needs to be forced out through the urine. Yeah, do you have any kidney stone stories? <laughs> Happily, I do not <laughs> at this time. Uh, the, I'll tell you, the only, the only way I even knew that kidney stones existed was I walked in like 10 minutes late to high school one day, and the whole school was downstairs in an assembly. But the, one of the two principals of the school who was a very weird guy who really didn't last a long time because he wasn't the best principal, was sort of like hobbling in the hall, acting really crazy. It was very similar to how Kramer looks in this episode. Mm -hmm. But because he's a weird guy, I thought he was just being really weird. Yeah. So I probably like made a funny joke or f funny in my mind and was like going to walk downstairs because I'm already late and I got to walk into this 
you know, assembly and nobody, everyone's already seated. And then he like sort of like gets my attention and down this long hallway and is like, you got to go get the principal. You got to go get the other principal. You got to go get him. And now he's like, that guy is speaking to the whole school. So I have to walk downstairs and like interrupt. Wow. Inter- you know, but like, and luckily it had just ended. I think it wasn't like as awkward, but I was thinking like, cause it, at this point it's clear. Like I didn't know his kidney stones yet, but it's like clear. It's some sort of medical, like for all I know, he was having a heart attack. It's probably mm-hmm. what I thought, but I'm like, run, you know, like running downstairs. And, but obvi- my concern was less his health and more like how awkward it's going to have to be. If I like try and interrupt like the principal <laughs> in the middle of the me. speech. Excuse me. <laughs> like it would have been, I mean, he would have been like, go away. Like he wouldn't, you know, I would have been like, but, uh, luckily, yeah, but you're like the him. hero. You're like walking in. We have a medical emergency. Yeah. And I, I just told him and that. Yeah. And I think he was, uh, you know, he was about to pass the kidney stone or I don't know what he was up to, but he was having a kidney stone emergency. Okay. Wow. And you saved the day. I don't think I saved the day. I don't even know if he had it right then. I think it was just like extreme pain. I, he may have gone home at that point and, until he got, got rid of it. All right. Well, it really is like, a, is this something that can only happen once? It really is like a nightmare when I think about it now. Yeah, let's not think about it anymore because, you know, I don't want to manifest anything like the secret <laughs> to talk about You're it You're going to be dreaming about uh, kidney stones th- in text. In <laughs> <laughs> once upon a time, there was a guy named Rob. <laughs> going to get an email, urgent, and then it's going to say, uh, you may have a kidney stone in the email in my dream. Yeah. All right. So going back to the Poland Creek office, uh, we end up with Elaine at this meeting and they're talking about a stock swap, which Elaine thinks is pretty funny. And we find out that the name is going to be Molin Spring. That is almost like on Survivor, just like when I hate when they take the two names of the tribes at the merge and put them together. That's exactly what we're doing here with Molin Spring. Maybe Molin is somebody's mom whose name is Denalum backwards. <laughs> Perhaps. I started saying that and then I realized that there was a lot of consonants at the end. <laughs> but anyway, so Elaine is like Mullen. That's uh, that's not a good name. I wouldn't drink anything called Mullen. But then we find out, oh, it was Mr. Pitt's idea. And the guys both agree. We got to do something about the name. Name is brutal. It sounds like mold too much. Yeah. Yeah. You don't want to drink any Mullen spring water. So we go back to Jerry's apartment. And so... We see George on the phone. I think this is the first of two different scenes that we see in the episode of George trying to explain to Lindsay about what happened. And again, we see George retelling this and it's funny again of, no, it's not in the garbage. It was above the garbage. And so it was hovering like an angel, he said. He kissed the ant and she was the one who bit it in the first place. And he talks about how in his family, they used to eat garbage all the time. I don't know how that makes it better. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I feel like that would be a bigger turnoff. Like, oh, like this is they're a garbage eating family. Yeah. All right. So ultimately, Lindsay is a very forgiving woman. She's going to take him back. And Jerry suggests that they should get flowers for Lindsay. Yeah. And the flowers are just a a decoy device here. Right. That's going to get George down on the street for the next thing that's going to happen to him. So Kramer comes in. He's got a VHS tape of the 84 Olympics. How on earth did Kramer in 1994 come up with this? Does Kramer record all of the Olympics? Someone, I think, asks in in the emails, but it's a good question. Johnny DeSilvera asked the question later on uh, in the emails. Where did Kramer get the tape of Katia? from the 84 Olympics. You know, maybe there are people like, I could see like George's dad just taping everything, you know? But the Olympics are so long. Kiva, how many VHS tapes would you need? Even if you recorded it on What if you just did the prime time? I I just want to see Costas. (laughs) Like OJ. (laughs) 
Yeah, I just that's right. I just I just need the Casas, not the stuff where Wienerker's working that nobody's watching. Right. So you think it's somewhat plausible that he could have the 84 was the VCR even available to the consumer in 84? What if what if like uh, they, they sold it? Like they used to sell a lot of VHSs like here's you know the uh they could have the gymnastics of the 84 Olympic games on uh what you call it, you know, on uh on on VHS and it's like a best of. It's a compilation. It's not like everything live. Yeah. That's possible. No, they would have like Super Bowls and stuff. You'd be able to like Remember, I bought, you know, a yeah. couple of times when I was little, like uh, the 49ers Bengals Super Bowl, so I could see it. Yeah, no, you could have a VCR in 1984. I mean, the 1984 VCR is not a pretty contraption. It looks probably more like a tape recorder at this point in time. But I do remember that my dad had like VHS tapes of like that he recorded like the 1986 World Series on VHS. And I'm sure that right. my parents were not such early adopters of the VCR that the technology was uh, unavailable at that time. Yeah, I think plan A was to watch it live, but plan B was the VCR. Are you, are you still are you making fun of me still with Corinne with this VCR uh, conversation? Still, I, I haven't even, this is the first of probably many times that I make fun of you <laughs> <laughs> anyway so uh kramer pops in the tape and i do think that michael richards does a very good job of narrating the action here which uh sort of makes something out of a bunch of people just staring at a tv that is not being seen by us and turns it into something yeah and i've watched a lot of gymnastics in my day and uh the noises that were coming from the television screen are are closer to a tennis match or other things that you could see on television uh, and it no, sound nothing like a gymnastics meet. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of grunting and weird noises that that you ne- that do not come from people doing gymnastics. Even if they were mic'd up, they wouldn't be making that noise. Yeah, maybe it, was it Steffi Graf doing the gymnastics? Uh, it's I mean it's possible. Who's I think Sharapova is the biggest uh, you know screamer of all. <laughs> <laughs> all right so uh we see that jerry is now mesmerized by the gymnastics and so we see jerry in the car with katya in the next scene and so katya is talking about how that she is uh so flexible and jerry is really mesmerized uh she can balance herself at any position she says that this skill that she has is only useful in gymnastics but uh jerry feels like that maybe she's uh saying more than she's leading on here yeah, this seems like she's implying something. Mm-hmm. Sure, because they go to commercial on that. But we find out in the next scene that Jerry's talking to Elaine, and he's actually rather disappointed with the sexual experience with Katya. He thought that he was entering a magical world of sensual delights, and uh, it was rather ordinary, he tells Elaine. Don't you think it's a little strange and out of character for him to be having this conversation with Elaine and not George? It is, but maybe George was not available, and I feel like... It just seems like he would still never... He'd have it maybe with Kramer. Yeah. Anyone but Elaine. It just seems like, you know, she would talk to him about it. I don't think he minds, but mm-hmm. it seems like something that he's generally not talking to her about. And he's he is uncomfortable with her with her line of questioning. I think it's worth it, even though it is a bit unusual, because then when Elaine presses him in a way that only she could do more so than George or Kramer could, that she sort of presses him to say, like, well, what do you think she was going to do? And he's like, just tell me one thing. And he says, well, I thought she would use me as the apparatus. And then she starts to drill down further. Like, what apparatus? Like, what are you talking about? And then he has to just like sort of like sheepishly just like give up what he was hoping for. Yeah, a lot of gymnastics jokes. You got you to really know your gymnastics here. <laughs> it is very funny. I really like the way that Elaine. No, it's a good scene. I'm just saying canonical, canonically, it's, uh, 
un- it's unusual for him to be having this conversation with Elaine of all people. <laughs> sure. <laughs> all right. So we find out from Elaine that the merger is off. She started the whole big name controversy, uh, which is a problem. And they're interrupted by Kramer, who's screaming and uh, they think it's the stone. They come running in. But instead, uh, we see that Kramer was practicing his gymnastic routine. Yeah, I, I could. Uh, you know, it's too bad we didn't see that because I can only imagine what he was trying to do. Yeah. All right. So here's George on the street. Very unusual scene. He now has a cup of coffee and he has the bouquet of flowers. And presumably he's on his way to go see Lindsay. And so he takes a drink from the coffee and then he says, oh, you call this coffee? And he just like throws the cup of coffee on the street. Did that business with the coffee, did that make sense to you at all? Uh, it's a funny scene to me if I'm really nitpicking, which I guess we always are. Um, there should have been more of like it could have been an accident. Like he, he's spacing out and he bumps into somebody like it's weird that he's just throwing the coffee on a windshield. I mean, have you ever in your life had a beverage the beverage is unsatisfactory and you throw the beverage like on the street like Especially that? it's hot. It could like burn somebody. Right. Right. Suit. Like <laughs> it's fun to throw something in the garbage when you don't like it. It's why are you throwing it? Like maybe you're throwing it a windshield if you think the guy's not there, but you at least have to check first. And still, that's not recommended. I don't know if that's what you should be doing. Yeah. How about this? What if he goes to throw it in the garbage can, but there's like it's the trash day. And then the, at the point that he's throwing it in the garbage can, somebody moves the garbage can and then it hits the car. Something like that. Yeah. yeah. Or he and misses just, the shot. Right. Because they, they don't sell the fact that he's doing it on purpose because that's like too mean. But mm-hmm. he's just being like haphazard and it like all jumps out of the cup basically. But it's a little neither here nor there. Mm-hmm. Sure. Anyway, what about this? And as we're rewriting the episode, <laughs> what if George sees a perfectly good cup of coffee on a garbage can, on a garbage receptacle, and then <laughs> he takes a sip from it, and then it is no good? Again, playing off of that, George eats things out of the garbage, and uh, then that coffee like tips over and spills, or then he has like, or he the, like spits it out because it's cold or something. Right, it's, it's, that's terrible. It just seems like that's such a weird piece of business that he throws the the coffee. Yeah, but it, is that too on the nose? Is that too similar to what just happened? Yeah, I don't know. But either way, we end up with George getting into an altercation because he throws this coffee on a guy's car, and the guy's just like, "Hey, like, like uh, you jerk." You got coffee all over my car. Now go now totally clean it right. up. The guy has every right to be upset. Yeah. <laughs> it, seem, it seems weird that he would be upset, but his response of, hey, clean that up is weird to me. Why? I feel like if you were in your car and somebody pours coffee on the hood right, of your car. You'd almost like drive away. Like we're non-confrontational. I'd, I'd at least drive away. <laughs> right. But say you were confrontational. Like I feel like that you would say, like, what the hell are you doing? Why did right, you throw right. coffee right. on you're my car? either like avoiding the crazy person or yelling at them. Or if you're really confrontational, getting out of the car. Yeah. It's almost like I feel like it should have been that the guy is like, hey, what the hell are you doing, you jerk? That Why did you do that? And George, oh, let me clean it. I feel like it's weird that the guy says, hey, clean that car. It's a little strange, but listen, he's so, you know, shocked by what happened that he just says the first thing that comes to mind. Anyway, so George doesn't look scary, so you could boss him around. (laughs) Yeah, you could. So anyway, so George ends up trying to clean it up. He grabs like some newspaper 
and he starts cleaning the guy's windshield and Mrs. Enright walks by, of course, and sees him. And then I guess this is beat number two in the she is wondering if George is a homeless person. Yeah, and you're right. They do like they are sort of the bum card is really, uh, you know, adding up here. But this is strike three. Like Jerry says strike two, I think. But, you know, you have to look back to the last episode where he didn't read the book and. He went to someone's house and ruined their couch. Right. But it's only strike two with the mom. Right. I guess. What does she care? You're right. What does she care about? the uh, About oh, if you say like, oh, he didn't, you know, read the book from the book club. Then. <laughs> yeah. So we end up seeing George again on the couch, sort of like explaining it. No, 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 no. I accidentally spilled coffee. I didn't have a squeegee. You know, I have a job. Of course, you know, it's all a big misunderstanding. So she takes him back again. Jerry calls this strike two, as you mentioned. And George asks the question, which I kind of like. He's like, you think I'm going down? And Jerry's like, well, you're behind an account. (laughs) I like at this point in the story that they can sort of say like, oh, what do you you think this is going bad for me? You think this is no good? So I like that they're sort of like a little bit like meta talking about like where this is going. Yeah, it's it's a sign of like a show that's more like comfortable in its own skin, I guess. Mm hmm. So Jerry talks about how that he's going back out with Katya, he tells Kramer when he comes in and Kramer says, hey, you got to try this again. You got to go back after this because maybe the second time around will be different. But Jerry feels like, well, no, I need to break this off because as Elaine had told him in the earlier conversation, because you slept with her, now you have to stay with her for three weeks. Now, Akiva, are you buying this that Jerry would be so hung up on this length of time that he needs to stay with a person after he engages in sexual congress. I, I agree that he would worry about it, but I think ultimately he does whatever he wants. So it's weird that he's so concerned, especially for a guy who has a new girlfriend every week. It's weird that, uh, mm-hmm. it almost like he, he almost breaks his own rules. If you think about it, just by definition, like if he has a new girlfriend every week, he's not waiting the three weeks probably. So Jerry has to go on this date to the circus. And I think this is a little bit weird that he says, okay, if I have to go to the circus Kramer, you have to go too. Do you think that Jerry would want Kramer with him on any date? I think because he's so disinterested that he wants to like punish Kramer also because it's his idea. It, it makes more sense than, you know, maybe uh, otherwise it would for him to invite him on a date. But if you were Jerry and you had Kramer who was really sort of like forcing this issue of, oh, she's so flexible, Kama Sutra and, you know, tantric love. Aren't you afraid Kramer is going to say something to her about all of that? Yeah, and we know Kramer is huge in spilling the beans and, you know, make, throwing other people under the bus. But he doesn't care, right? I guess like he so. wants to break up with her. I guess maybe is he hoping that Kramer's going to sort of like force the issue of like, hey, are you going to do any sort of like flexible stuff in the bedroom for Jerry? Sure, he would like that. Could you do any of that stuff for him? Yeah, or or like even Kramer steal her away. Just get him out of his hair. Like <laughs> yeah, this is a sabotage mission, mission for the relationship. I was thinking also like it doesn't work with Katya, but – you know, she was a gymnast a decade ago. Mm-hmm. And that's like something that you practice a lot. Like once it goes, is it possible it just goes? It's like if you were, you know, a sprinter and then you're no longer doing whatever you were doing to be, be a good sprinter. Yeah. Maybe a few years later, you wouldn't be like an elite sprinter anymore. Oh, my God. Is that going to happen to me with podcasting? No, I was, it's, it's like the Crystal Cox corollary. <laughs> well, I think that when you get into Crystal Cox, I think you also get into the performance enhancing substances. Listen, who knows what was go- what, I, look at the look at the scores from the Eastern European, you know, teams <laughs> in the Olympics in the 
in the early 80s. We also get reintroduced to the idea that Kramer is afraid of clowns, which we first found out during the crazy Joe Davola saga. So it's a little off-putting for Kramer to have to go to the circus. Right. Are you? But didn't you say you're also afraid of clowns? I am. I am. It doesn't really pay any dividends here. Kramer is afraid of clowns, but we just sort of get Kramer being resistant to having to go to the circus. Well, would you not like is your fear so great that you wouldn't go to the circus? I would go to the circus. That wouldn't be why I didn't want to go to the circus. I don't want to go to the circus because it's kind of uh, boring to me to go to the circus. Mm -hmm. But, you know, if one of my kids was like, please, I want anything in in life to go to the circus, it wouldn't stop me from being an attendee of the circus. But I might be a little uncomfortable sort of commingling with all these clowns backstage. Right. I don't know if that's like a regular thing in the circus. I I don't want to be in the clown car with like, uh, you know, 17 clowns. No, definitely. You don't want to be in the clown car. (laughs) No. So we go back to Mr. Pitt and he's with Elaine. And so Mr. Pitt is upset that Elaine screwed up this whole naming business. Uh, yeah. And, and it's a good lesson for life. Like if you're the Elaine in the situation and you're not in a position of power, it's always better to say nothing. Mm-hmm. because she screws it up but nobody if she came up with a great name they would take credit for it they would never be like oh you know who came up with that awesome name and needs a raise and a promotion elaine that wouldn't happen no it would not so just say nothing so we go back to elaine and she's with mr pitt mr pitt is preparing to go off to go riding and uh, of course he is also unhappy with elaine because she screwed up the business with the naming convention over at mullen spring so elaine in a little bit of hot water with mr pitt so also, meanwhile, we are seeing at the circus the introduction of the Misha character. Do we know what the relationship is between Misha and Katya? Uh, yeah, I think they just used to be on the gymnastics team together. But had they dated? So again, it remains unsaid. We're not sure. Pri- we're led to believe there was something there. There's some chemistry. Something there because they are speaking to each other in Romanian and sort of leaving Jerry out well, of the I conversation. I think even if they hated each other, they might speak to each other in Romanian. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, we are also seeing that Katya's father used to take her to the circus and he would scream curses at the elephants. Yeah, who wouldn't? Mm. <laughs> so interestingly, on the rewatch, and again, not something that I caught the first time through, uh, Misha says to Katya, like, oh, so this is the comedian. Right, which, right, it doesn't make sense. It's just like them saying, like, he, you know, a fact, but in hindsight, it makes more sense. Yeah. All right, so back in Mr. Pitt's office, Elaine is finding out on the phone that Mr. Pitt needs to be called into the merger meeting, and Mr. Pitt is too busy with the magic eye, and so Elaine goes to take a pen out of her purse, and uh, she ends up getting ink all over her from the broken fountain pen in her purse. Yeah, and this scene is figuratively and literally a mess. (laughs) So Elaine gets mad, and she goes over and she breaks the 3D art painting and then grabs Mr. Pitt by the lapel and says that he needs to go to the meeting. And she ends up getting ink all over him. And Mr. Pitt sort of dabs, not like Cam Newton, but he ends up like sort of like dabbing his finger on his upper lip area from where the ink had got him. And he gives himself sort of like a Hitler style mustache. Yeah, central mustache area. Yes. And yeah. and he doesn't know that his entire shirt and face is covered in ink right and he hates ink apparently yes elaine hey is that ink on your head no 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 no, it's not mr pitt so she sends him off with this ink on his so elaine in this scene uh lies to her boss uh breaks a painting for no reason uh takes him by the collar and then ruins his clothing yes 20 seconds yes yes 
<laughs> and sends him off to go to the Molin Spring merger dressed like Hitler. Yes. Yes. <laughs> All right. So we end up seeing George and Lindsay in the car and Lindsay invites George to come up to her mom's house because her mom's having a party. George, who is already in hot water with Lindsay's mom, decides to go up there because he needs to go to the bathroom. And I feel like you should be he should be staying as far away from Lindsay's mom as possible at this point. Right. Right. So we end up now seeing Jerry with talking with Katya and Misha before Misha goes on. Jerry warns Misha to break a leg, which apparently is a term that Misha has never heard before. Yeah, he looks at him again. Maybe that's why he's talking Romanian. Maybe he's like, uh, you know, his English isn't his command of English isn't as good as uh, some other people's. But yeah, he's never heard that. It's an expression. You know, maybe he just, you know, he didn't grow up here. Maybe. Who knows? Maybe. So also Misha puts a cape on before he goes out. And Jerry has a very great line where he says, boy, those capes are really coming back. Yeah, nice callback. <laughs> That's great. All right. So uh, George ends up at the party going into the bathroom. Uh, you know, he's sort of like eating an hors d'oeuvre and he goes into the bathroom. And the person who leaves the bathroom says, boy, they got one of those 3D art posters in there. It's mesmerizing. Keeve, would anybody have a 3D art poster hanging up in their bathroom? Listen, you couldn't bring your phones into the bathroom back then. Like, what are they going to have, have, you know, like have some magazine or something like there's got to be something to entertain yourself while yeah. you're in the bathroom. I mean, I guess like sort of like in a bar or something, it'd be a nice thing to have like over a urinal, right? Yeah, I guess. <laughs> I guess that's like the one time like, oh boy, I really could go for a magic eye 3D art painting. I think that all the time. <laughs> could you do it on your phone? Could you look at a sort of like a digital image of one of those? Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You could definitely play with some 3D art stuff on your phone. Yeah, you could. Yeah, I think that's basically why the iPhone was invented. Steve Jobs was like, oh, it's so annoying that to buy a 3D art thing to just to look at it. Just make this phone. In it. <laughs> All right. So Kramer is having another attack from his kidney stone. He heads into a bathroom on his own right. I guess much like George at this point in time, he ends up having a bit of physical comedy with spilling popcorn everywhere. And so he ends up going into the Madison Square Garden bathroom and he lets out a blood-curdling scream. Uh, yeah, apparently the loudest noise in the history of mankind. It's a very loud noise. And again, I feel like that this is a little similar to the business back in the season four finale in the pilot of Kramer trying to make it to a bathroom. Uh, yes, he's, he's the thing. One of like the confusing things is when you see him spazzing, you know, spasming, um, you know, all these times when he's complaining, it looks exactly like when he needs to go to the bathroom. You're right in season four. <laughs> all right. So Kramer lets out this huge scream. We see the animals are all reacting to this. Uh, Katya saying that this is horrible. And we end up seeing more of Misha uh, up on the tightrope and he's starting to lose his balance. And inevitably, he ends up falling off the tightrope. We sort of like fade to black there. We don't really see him like uh, hit yeah, the ground they, or anything. Considering how difficult it was to get off, to like pull off and the fact that the show has done some like unrealistic things when they get into unfamiliar territory, it actually doesn't look so bad here. All right. So we cut back to the party over at Lindsay's mom's house. George ends up emerging from the bathroom with no shirt on and sort of like rubbing his eyes. Have you seen that 3D art in there? He says, that's, you know, weird, wild stuff. Woo. And everybody is sort of like the needle goes off the record. And everybody's like, why is this guy have no shirt on? Akiva, does yeah. this work for you? You would have to really be mesmerized and dizzied 
by this 3D art to not know that you were, you know, that you were, it's one thing if it's in your own house and you forget, you know, at a, at a stranger's house to like, where was the shirt that he didn't notice it? And just to completely forget, not that he's wearing an undershirt and then it would be like easy to forget, you know, like he's just wearing nothing. It's, it feels different. It's hard to not know that. Yeah. I also feel like that this is not the correct third beat in the story of that Lindsay's mom thinks George could be a homeless person because that is not something that you would expect from a homeless person that they would come to your house and use your bathroom and then take their shirt off and leave it in your bathroom and come out shirtless. Right. What? What? I have an idea. Do you have an idea? Uh, not off the top of my head, but I would love to hear what you have. I mean, now that you think, no, but you're making a good point that it's, but now that I hear what you're saying, like, what if he forgets to lock the bathroom and he like drops his keys in the toilet or something? Mm-hmm. Something like that. Or like, I some, mean, that's not so bummy, but at least like, what's he like fishing in the toilet? It's pretty weird. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, she is assuming that George is a homeless person. He's eating food out of the garbage. She sees him on the street. He's like cleaning a guy's windows. Just the third beat in this story shouldn't be that he ends up taking his shirt off in the bathroom. That's sort of like, what would a homeless person do in the bathroom that would be unusual at this sort of dinner party? I feel like that they don't nail this correct thing. Did you watch the deleted scene for this? Yes. The deleted scene is even more absurd. Yeah, the deleted, it's, it's almost better, but yeah, it is more absurd. Yeah. In the Where deleted he, scene, George is just like acting like all of a sudden he's like an exhibitionist. Once he realizes he has no shirt on, he's like just like talking up people and like, you know, drinking champagne and, and giving, you know, cheering glasses with people. Yeah, he just sells it once he realizes. Yeah, he he talks to the mom. He, he hugs the grandmother. Yeah. <laughs> so, boy, that must be some magic eye painting. Yeah. I mean, he, he was really, uh, you know, mesmerized by it. All right. Then we cut to Mr. Pitt at the meeting and he is really carrying on now that he looks like Hitler. He's saying that he's been accused of wrongdoing, but these accusations are false. They will not deter us. We will annex Poland by the spring at any cost and our stock will rise high. And he's doing like the uh, the German Nazi Heil and Akiva. Is this working for you? It's so absurd. Like this is a more cartoony episode than most, but the and this is one of the more interesting pit stuff. Like a lot of times his storyline is the D storyline that goes nowhere. Mm-hmm. Here it does go somewhere, but it's just so crazy. It really is kind of crazy. I mean, it's a funny sight gag on the surface, but it makes absolutely no sense what he's saying based on the events of this episode. No. And like, why is he almost like hiling by accident? It doesn't really. Yeah. He says sense. our stock will rise high. That is actually the part that makes the most sense of it. I mean, what yeah, I wrongdoing guess. is Pitt being accused of? Right. And like someone wouldn't have come over to him and like say, hey, you got ink all over yourself. Mm-hmm. Right. We will annex Poland by the spring is not even what they're talking about. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> if anything, they'll annex, you know, Molin spring. <laughs> so yeah, I, it's, it's, it's a little bit of a reach. Uh, yeah. I mean, I guess. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's it's crazy. But, you know, we talk about like do things get too cartoony and usually they don't. But I think here they do. Yeah, it's fun, but it's just like it is not based in any sort of reality based on uh, what we've seen in the storyline. So after the credits, uh, we end up coming back for a post roll piece of business. Katya is talking with Jerry and she must go be with Misha now. And she says to Jerry, well, (laughs) look, it's been three days since our first night together. Misha said that was all the time she needed to put in. She explains that in her country, 
They speak of a man so virile, so potent, that to spend the night with such man is to enter a world of sensual delights that most women dream of. That man is known as the comedian. You may tell jokes, Mr. Seinfeld, but you are no comedian. Right. And it's very convenient that in Romania, the person who's like uh, a ladies' man is called a comedian. <laughs> what are the odds? Yeah. But that is funny. You know, I feel like that, that I feel like was the redemptive part of this whole storyline with the gymnast. Yeah, I agree. They but, stick I mean, the it's landing, stretch, but it's a bit of a mess in the middle. Yeah. <laughs> so all in all, that is the gymnast. Right. And then we would just see Kramer walking out. You know, nothing happens. Right. He's, uh, he's walking out of the bathroom. I guess once you pass the kidney stone, he's back. Everything's back to normal, right? Yeah, I guess so. So kudos to Kramer. Mm-hmm. All right, Akiva, now that we talked about the episode, let's just give our letter grades for everything. Why don't we start with Jerry and his storyline with the gymnast? Yeah, we said it's very weak. Uh, it, it's not bad. There's no like there's really no scene in this episode that's like boring or cringeworthy or anything, mm-hmm. but it doesn't really lead anywhere. And it's very forced at the end. So I'll give it a, a C plus. I say, yeah, C for comedian. Oh, boy. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Let's talk about George and eating the eclair out of the garbage. Eating the clear out of the garbage is great. I will say the the shirt thing is really funny, but maybe could have been better. Mm-hmm. I'll still give him an A because eating the clear out of the garbage is legendary. Yeah, it's very memorable. I feel like that in the last part of it, I don't think that they stuck the landing. <laughs> Unlike Katya, I don't think that they stuck the landing in that last scene with George at his girlfriend's mom's house. But I feel like overall the eclair is, is pretty iconic. I, I agree with you. All right. How about Kramer and the kidney stone? It's just, you know, a means to an ends. Uh, it is funny. I guess the, the, his only real like great scene, I think, in this episode is when he brings over the tape. And that's pretty funny. But I'll give him a B minus. Yeah, I feel like it's more of an incomplete for me. I don't think that he had a lot going on in terms of just like uh, the kidney stone, the kidney stone and screaming. So I feel like it's more of an incomplete than an actual story. Yeah, not as not a strong storyline. this week. All right. And then Elaine with Mr. Pitt. Uh, probably one of the better. Mr. Pitt is maybe my least favorite character in the series, but wow. uh, one of one of the better Mr. Pitt uh, episodes. Uh, I'll give it a B. B. I think that's probably a, li- a little high, but I feel like it's almost like more of an incomplete. But Elaine, Elaine, Elaine. Uh, okay. Yeah. And but also we also we have to stop saying either George or Kramer. We're never going to catch Jerry. <laughs> but we have to we have to come up with a code word to like call him Cosmo or something. Cosmo. Right? Costanza. Spoiler alert, by the way, to like people like Mike Bloom who've never, who, you know, who, who haven't seen the rest of the series. Uh, spoiler alert. Okay. All right. So then let's just talk about in terms of from 94 to the modern day, anything that nobody would be looking at a magic eye, I guess. No, probably no magic eyes. Uh, you'd, you'd be able to find the uh, gymnastics clip pretty quickly on YouTube. Mm-hmm. Um, what about, is there still a stigma of being homeless? I mean, probably it wouldn't be made fun of as much, but also there aren't really squeegee guys or maybe there weren't. I, I hear, uh, <laughs> I don't know, people are complaining they're coming back now, but um, there was no, there were no squeegee guys, uh, you know, for a long time. So that's pretty uh, sort of yeah uh, out of date to now. And uh, I don't know, did the circus still exist? I thought I <laughs> the thought circus no still circus. exists. There's no more elephants. They're getting rid of the elephants because we see the elephants like standing up here and, and they, they're not there anymore. Katia's clip, I think, would be more readily available on YouTube. We don't need Kramer to come in with the VHS tape. Oh, yeah. You could probably watch any Olympics you want. On uh, you, could, you could go through a whole Olympics rabbit hole on YouTube. Don't think I haven't done it. <laughs> All right. Not with 84 women's gymnastics, but with other sports. So then, Akiva, where do you have this in the rankings? 
Uh, to me, there are some really funny moments, uh, so it's a pretty average episode. I have the gymnast at number 82. 82? You should have gone 84 for the Olympics. Oh, yeah. I, you know, I listen, th- this, th- these are very pure rankings, Rob. I don't do any gags. Arbitrary. Yeah. I, I didn't rank the, set, the episode the seven, number seven, just to be funny. All right, Keeve. I teased it at the top of the show that we were going to talk with one of our listeners today who did something that we thought was very extraordinary. And we mentioned last week on the podcast that we were getting ready for our big interview with Jerry following your news item, Akiva, that you talked about that that there was a guy who then Jerry called him the wrong name. And we said, we need to be ready just in case we get that private number phone call one day and it's Jerry Seinfeld. But we had lost track of all the questions we had for Jerry about the episodes. And we wish that there was some way that we could have those questions archived. And you suggested, well, maybe somebody should go back and re-listen to all those. And I thought that that sounded like a tall task, Akiva. Uh, yeah, I thought it was, you know, it was basically impossible. I, I figured I was just going to make Chester sit down and listen to all 90 episodes again. <laughs> Which he was probably going to do anyway. Uh, could, also, could we get maybe, this is the next wish. I, I'd like Chester to rank all 90 episodes so far of the Seinfeld recap podcast. Yeah, he's very robotic, though. I've never gotten out of him like, oh, that was a good one or that was a bad one. <laughs> Maybe it's a 90-way tie for last. I'm not sure. <laughs> Maybe could he rank the back 90 as we go, as we head towards the end? And then at some point, yeah, that's a good can, idea. Yeah. It's anyway, so we were looking for a list of these questions and we thought it would never happen. And we were so surprised when we got an email earlier this week from one of our listeners, Sean Falconer who I have met in person on a recent trip to San Francisco, and he reached out with a way that he has found to come up with all of these questions. Let's welcome him to the show for the first time. Sean, are you there? Yeah. Hi, Rob. Thank you. Sean, pleasure to have you here on the podcast. Yes, I I feel um, pretty privileged. There's only been a couple of uh, guests ever on this podcast. I'm joining the ranks of uh, Peter Melman and... uh, Angela Dorman and uh, I think Chester. Yeah, yeah, it's a short list. <laughs> yeah, the male well, that, that other writers Seinfeld. guy. I don't remember his name, but we had him on also. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, this is really impressive. You have come up with now this official list of all the questions that we have for Jerry, and you were able to do it without even listening to one episode over again. Sean, tell us how you did this magical trick, this miracle. Um, yeah, so I, I, I remember, um, Akiva mentioning it last week and, uh, and it's, uh, kind of got me thinking about it and I thought it might be kind of a fun project to actually try to figure out a way to, um, uh, I'm, um, my background is computer science. Um, I was a former researcher, um, at Stanford and now I run my own company, but, um, so we kind of, uh, started, uh, this thought process. And I thought about how could I use a computer program or write a computer program to do it. So basically I, I threw something together on Sunday to pull down all the podcast audio files, uh, which are listed conveniently in the uh, Seinfeld RSS feed. And then what I wanted to do was be able to convert those files from the audio to text. So then I could apply different text analysis techniques to actually figure out where these questions are. Um, so I found, uh, there's a lot of different tools that'll do this kind of thing. Um, voice base is one of them. I believe you can also use Google voice and a few other ones. So then I worked on 
basically uploading all 91 podcast episodes to voice base. And the reason I use that is basically because they have a free or t- free tier and, um, translated them from audio to text. And then I downloaded those text files and then I basically designed a way to try to target and figure out where those questions were. That's amazing. Now so you, I lost you at a RSS feed. <laughs> <laughs> so you're saying now that you have a transcript of all 91 previous Seinfeld post-show recaps as well. Yeah. Um, <laughs> They're not um, super readable, though. The, uh, <laughs> translation. They're is not, not super listenable, too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so amazing. So, what were your findings then from putting together this big research project? Um, so, I f- was able to identify twenty different questions that you guys um, talked about, and they kind of started with the opera, um, and. Uh, you had said, uh, basically, that the, I think this was the first time that ever happened where you said that um, you were complaining, basically, about all the plot holes in the opera. <laughs> and you said that if we ever have Jerry on here, we're going to ask him, why are there 4,000 plot holes in that episode? <laughs> and then Akiva said, oh, but is that what we're going to ask him? And then he started, list- he started listing all these different questions about <laughs> Uncle Leo being still married and uh, Jerry having a brother and all this sort of stuff. And that was kind of there was basically like five or six questions in that particular episode. And then as time has gone on, you guys have actually kind of uh, resurfaced that gag more and more. Um, and, uh, and then I collected all those questions. But uh, some of the other things I did too was um, I looked at some of the other things that tend to come up in the podcast as well as in Seinfeld, like dry cleaning and coffee shop, voicemail, phone messages, uh, kind of legacy ideas from the eighties and nineties. And, um, and I pulled out like basically how many times those types of concepts are mentioned. And then I thought, well, it might be also interesting to look at how often the actually principle four are mentioned by you guys. Mm-hmm. So I looked at, you know, how often Jerry and George and Kramer and Elaine come up. Um, and I think the most interesting thing about that is that, um, and it's not that surprising. I think it's probably product more of, the writing of Seinfeld than necessarily the podcast, but Elaine is uh, definitely the least prominent uh, we mentioned character. Kiva, that's a bad job. What are you trying to say? Yeah, <laughs> I think it's, well, like I said, I think it's more has to do with the uh, writing of the episodes because I think well, she wasn't in even early, in the first episode. Yeah, exactly. In the first, in the early, <laughs> great, great one, in the early uh, um, episodes of Seinfeld, they just didn't really give her a lot to yeah. do. So of course you're going to have less to discuss better. So our goal, actually, I think, and you could you could track this at after 180 in, in uh, August 2017, is if we could get Elaine into um, third place. And I just want to say one thing, guys: Elaine, 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 Elaine. Elaine. Okay. <laughs> yeah. She also had the episodes where she was having a baby, and so she's sort of like uh, where she's uh, dating the therapist, and she's only in like one scene. So that might also account for it. Well, I think, you, and you also you also did the uh, word bubble where you, you came oh, yeah. up with 50 words we say the most. Mm-hmm. And I think the word we say most is the word think. Yes. Wow. It's pretty uh, crazy. Who knew? We said, we, we must have, we said think 11,000 times. <laughs> Rob, do you ever think no, well, now I say the word think. Uh, it's it, it's more than that. It's probably closer to 20,000 because it's oh even more prominent than uh, saying the word Jerry. <laughs> what are we doing with our lives, Rob? I got to think about it. You also say um, that's a really good question a lot. <laughs> really? <laughs> Well, yeah. I'm surprised. I'm surprised the word, the word "canon" is in top fifty. I mean, you took uh, out all the connecting words, right? Idea. Like "uh" and "the" and "has." 
I, well, I cut out the ahs and thes and such. Yeah. Yeah. There's no canon. There's no post-gender society. None of, none of like the really recurring things. In there. <laughs> yeah. What's the most surprising recurring word? Um, the thing, I mean, not that it was in the, in there. I actually, uh, one of the, in the top 50, that's a little bit surprising to me is, uh, uh dollars. I don't really remember. <laughs> we talked a lot about the conversion. Well, <laughs> Oh, actually, yeah, we, to, we do conversion. Also, yes. I do I do that thing where like I you know I'll make a dollar amount that I wouldn't do for something I don't want to do. Like you know you couldn't pay me a million dollars to do that. I say yeah, that. Yeah, you're right. I mean I say it's my kids like fifty times a day. <laughs> Very yeah. interesting. What was the best question that you think we ended up having from the archives of this podcast? Oh, that's a tough one. Uh, I do really like the poop couch discussion. From last <laughs> that was for only from last week. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, Amir, se- Amir messaged me that that's a game changer. Like, you're really the first person ever to think of that question. Yeah, I've seen that episode 12 times, and I never, ever even thought of it. But it makes a ton of sense when you explain, the, explain it. Yeah. I even, uh, by the way, I'll tell you how pathetic I am, guys. Like, I, that was such a good question. And, you know, you first of all, Sean says, and I don't know what he means. Maybe he can explain himself here. He wrote in his story, this yielded 20 interview questions for Akiva and Rob to use when they have their Jerry Seinfeld interview on the podcast. In parentheses, he wrote, never going to happen. How dare you? What do you mean by that, Sean? (laughs) I'm just trying to... uh, um, Seven months from now, you'll see. Yeah. Well, Well, anyway, I I, I thought, like, just in case, Sean, that we don't have Jerry... I thought, what if we could ask one of the writers? But unfortunately, the writer of last week's episode was Larry David. I figured he was very busy last week. So I, I said, hmm, I wonder if Rennie Santoni or whatever his name is, the guy who plays Poppy, is still alive. And he is. And then I said, I wonder if he's on Twitter. And he's not, but he is on Facebook. Okay. So I think, should I Facebook him and ask him that question? I don't know if he'd know. I think we've learned that the writers, the writers know everything and the actors don't really know what's going yeah. on on this show. Sean, this is a question that maybe you might be able to answer for us because I've been reading more and more over the years about how there is going to be a day when a person dies that they will be able to transfer their consciousness over to a computer. Mm-hmm. Now, as a computer scientist and somebody who is very much at the forefront of all of this, do you think that there will be a one day where perhaps... You know, a not so fun fact after Jerry Seinfeld passes that perhaps his consciousness will be able to be loaded into a computer where then we will be able to email our questions to the computer that will have all of the information and that Akiva and I will be able to get our answers sent back to us by the Seinfeld computer. Um, I think, unfortunately, the three of us and Jerry will probably no longer be around by the time that happens. Uh, yeah. All right. Well, uh, email this to my kids. Hopefully. <laughs> yeah. That's what you need to keep it going. That's, that's <laughs> the key. Set it up now for future generations. Well, this is amazing. Keith, can you think of any other uses of Sean's valuable time that you can come up with for the sake of this research? Yeah, it's a good question. I was trying to think, like, I'm, what else could we have him analyze? I don't know how long it would take, but, like, I'd like to know the list of all the things I say I hate. 
Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I did think about um, pulling out the number of times you guys complain about your wives. Oh, no, 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 no. Burn that. (laughs) I I figured, you know, once, especially once Nicole, because I know she's all over my blog all the time, reading that stuff. As much as she listens to the podcast, she would uh, she might get mad at you guys. So no, no, and I will get very mad at you because the beauty of this is that my wife will never listen to one episode of the Seinfeld podcast. So by doing that, you would be able to sort of go around this in very elaborate, intricate system I have to complain about my wife in a way, in a medium that she will never listen to, even though it's readily available for her at any time. If you just made a list of all the things I've said and then gave it to her, that would really just be the worst case scenario. That's what Kramer would do. (laughs) Yeah. Violation of the bro code, clearly. To be fair, although she'll never listen to this podcast, Rob, you could pretty much do it on any podcast (laughs) and she won't hear it. The problem is people snitching. (laughs) Right, right. And the problem is that you've already done, you know, probably three quarters of the work to be able to have that information. Yeah. Why don't you keep that to yourself, Sean? Yeah. Wait, well, is this a blackmail? Is that why you invited us? Yeah. <laughs> is that why you brought up dollars? Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to get all that podcast money. <laughs> yeah, you're, well, you're taking money out of the hands of charity. <laughs> so we're going to have to get Dan. Dan is going to have to really double down on <laughs> right. investment. I. <laughs> Sean, can you what what about all the times we compliment our wives? Can you make a list of that? Yeah. Uh I think I can do that right now. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you just you you've already done it on this call? Yeah. It's, uh, no, I'm done. Um I got nothing to contribute, I guess. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, Sean, uh, this was fantastic. If somebody wants to read this blog, I'm gonna link to it in the show notes. Uh, but if you want just a quick link to it, go to postshowrecaps.com slash question blog, uh, and then a link to Sean's blog, which is also seanfalconer.blogspot.com if you want to go and visit it directly. And Sean, if there's anything we could do for you, please let us know. Yeah, sure. No problem. I actually have um, a couple other things that I'm working on, so I'll... Uh uh, something related to Survivor and something related to the genius. So those will maybe be coming out sometime later this year, depending on my schedule. Amazing. I had no idea this was even possible. <laughs> this is a total game changer. <laughs> yeah. Well, if you come up with further ideas, uh, just let me know. I'm, I'm happy to help. Okay. All right, Sean, thank you so much. All right. Thanks, guys. All right, Akiva. There you have it. How about that? Yeah, Isn't that amazing? Yeah, who knew? Everyone else has to step up their game. In 1994, that Kramer was just so impressed what you could make with a computer, make 3D art. Now, you don't even have to listen to this podcast. And by the way, he could also do that. I don't know how, but he could probably do it with like Seinfeld. Like we could figure out like how many times does, you know, Jerry say that's a shame and stuff (laughs) like that, like to the, you know, to the number. Wow. It's amazing. So they could just load that into the computer, have the computer spit out the podcast and just completely replace us. Uh, you know, this episode talks about 1984, right, with the uh, with the gymnastics and the Olympics. Oh, this, wow. This is very 1984. In the future, there'll be no podcast. It'll just be a computer that spits out the commentary on anything. Oh, boy. Oh, my God. All right. Let's get into our voicemails and uh, lots of good voicemails uh, this week from you guys. Uh, let's jump into Johnny DeSevera. Uh, we mentioned him earlier in the show. He also said that Alina Lowenson plays Katya appeared previously in Schindler's List. I guess Jerry must have missed it while he was making out. 
Yeah, he didn't notice. Otherwise, that's like a crazy sort of, uh, you know, they're in both worlds. But I don't know who she played. I don't know if she was a good guy or a bad guy, but I don't remember. We have no idea. I have to ask, did she play, was Mr. Pitt in Schindler's List also? I don't, I don't, don't, maybe the, uh, like the mockumentary of it or something. I don't know. (laughs) No, he was Hitler, I thought. (laughs) So, uh, Dr. Thomas, our medical correspondent, weighed in to talk about Kramer's battle with the kidney stones. He said that Kramer's story with the kidney stones and his explanations of what they are in monks is quite accurate. Wow. Kidney stones classically present with bouts of intense lower back, flank, or groin pain similar to what was shown. While in real life, Kramer would almost certainly need to go to the ER. The pain is reportedly as bad as childbirth. It is consistent with his character to avoid medical intervention. Well, I don't know if that's necessarily the case. Didn't we see him just like two episodes ago immediately go to the sperm bank or the fertility clinic? Yeah, and also like I don't know, I don't even think that principle ever went. Like I, I'm, I'm not buying this childbirth stuff, but we should sell it. I don't, you know, women are always like, "Man, we'll never go through childbirth." We like, what about kidney stones? Yeah, how about that? <laughs> All right, Lindsay writes in. I don't know if this was George's girlfriend from this episode, uh, but she said it's taken me months of neglecting my friends and family, but I finally caught up. It was totally worth it, though. I love the podcast. Uh, Lindsay mentions in the opera, Kramer doesn't seem particularly freaked out by the clowns. Do you think that his fear started with Pagliacci referencing Joe Davola? Did Kramer mention a fear of clowns in the opera? See, now we really need Sean Falconer. Yeah, where's Sean to answer that question? Could he be like stat boy for a podcast? (laughs) Like he can't speak until we ask him a question, but he's there the whole time. Probably well overqualified for that position. That's true, but he's probably (laughs) overqualified to even listen to this podcast. Yeah. So I'm not sure. I don't remember exactly, but I feel like in my mind I could see Joe Davola talking to Kramer and Kramer being very uncomfortable. Yeah, he was petrified. I guess the question is, did that start, like, did he become afraid of clowns with Joe Davola or does that predate, is that like a childhood thing? Mm, yeah. So I think it certainly did not help. Although, did he even know that Joe Davola was dressed as a clown that day? No, he was afraid of that clown. I don't, and maybe that clown was so scary that it scares him off forever. Yeah. Okay. All right. So then we have from Michael Clark who writes in to say the guy whose car George dumped the coffee on was a real a-hole for making him clean the windshield. Coffee's a liquid. Use the wipers. Oh, good call. Got to agree with that. Yeah. I mean, you know, do you really want like the coffee being smushed around back and forth? But I agree. Like it's it's probably more effective than the newspaper or whatever. Amir writes in and says, Jerry tells Kramer that guys like you with no conscience don't know what it's like for guys like me. I'm in the unfortunate position of having to consider people's feelings. Amir wants to know, since when does Jerry have a conscience or care about other people's feelings? The whole plot line of continuing to date Katya out of some sense of responsibility is very out of character. It's a good question, right? Agreed. To me, it's Jerry does have no conscience, but he also um, doesn't realize that. Like he's a narcissist, but he's also not self-aware of that. So sometimes he thinks he's, you know, he always thinks he's a good person, but, you know, sometimes he's... uh, He's just looking out for himself. Also, Amir says, Elaine asked Jerry if he thought he would be like the pummel horse apparatus. She obviously doesn't watch the Summer Olympics. As we all know, only men compete in the pummel horse. Yeah, we all know that. (laughs) Yeah, the pommel horse is uh, men only. But if I ran the Olympics, you know that all seven events would be for men and women. Yes, because you do not see gender. No, no, no. Listen, this is absurd. Why can't why can't women do the rings at this point? We're all equal. Post-gender society. And I, do, I, I don't think the men do the balance beam, which is also crazy. Yeah. 
just make it a little wider and, and you know, the separate balance beam for the men because I don't know if their feet would fit on that balance beam. Here's a question from Raul Castillo. And I'm not sure why we got this question this week, but he wants to know. My question is, do podcasters have a lot of groupies? Akiva, yes. did this episode have anything to do with groupies? I, I think maybe he's thinking, mean, it could have been from a different week. I don't know if I just cut that out of the whole email. But I think that, um, I think that uh, you know, Jerry's a comedian. So maybe he's thinking like, oh, she's only dating him. That Katya's only dating Jerry because he's a comedian. Mm-hmm. I would say... Mark Marin probably has groupies. Like you know, Mark Marin dated a fan for like a few years. Wow. Um, I'm trying to think like uh, if any other podcasters are big enough. Like if someone's famous and then they're a podcaster, like a Joe Rogan or something. Right. We could have groupies. Right. I, I, I have not encountered anybody in my podcasting career. I can't speak for Akiva that has said, "Oh my God, you are a podcaster." This is attractive in some way there. I've met lots of people who enjoy the podcast and are, you know, that I would consider to be uh, be friends because they listen to the podcast. But I would not say that there have been any podcasting groupies that I've come across. Not yet. But also people know we're married. So I feel like they probably would be like all over that. But they know to stay away. They're respectful. Perhaps. Perhaps that's what that's what it is. They know that there's a goalie there. Yeah. (laughs) And finally, Chester says, I have so many thoughts about this episode, which I don't think gets enough credit as an all-timer. Hot take from Chester? All-time what, Chester? <laughs> By the way, there's no more hot takes. We said we retired him last week, and then Kanye goes out and he tweets Bill Cosby innocent, which is like the hottest take of all. And now it's, you can't even top it, so we're just going to stop. <laughs> like, I was thinking, like, should, if I posted, like, Stephen Avery innocent now, just three words on Twitter. Like, I already got beaten by, by Kanye. There's no reason to do any more hot takes. Yeah. I think Stephen Avery guilty would be the hotter. Oh, that's what I meant. That's what I meant. Obviously. So here is Chester. He says it's repeatedly proven that George is a horrible employee of epic proportions, but I think that we don't pay attention to how awful of an employee Elaine is. Look at her only short time with Mr. Pitt thus far. She tries to get off early on her first week of the job. She repeatedly has her friends make personal calls to Mr. Pitt's private line. She knows he is ornery, but she does ridiculous things like sneak Kramer's 3D art into a framing order being paid for by Mr. Pitt. And that's all before the insane things happen as this episode progresses. Akiva, does Chester have a point? Yeah, she really, you know, Elaine gets short sold. And I want to say Elaine a few more times. We've got to get her count up in the. Uh... <laughs> Elaine, Elaine, Elaine. Where do we begin? Yeah, I think she um, she really gets sold short as a as like a terrible person, as we've said before, but. She is a horrible employee. Uh, again, you know, she's going to get accused of far worse things with Mr. Pitt as the season goes on, like trying to kill him. But um, yeah, she I mean, she does choke him in this episode. Like, you know, he, uh, you know, the gang is always like, oh, woe is me. All these terrible things happen. But like even in this episode with George, right? Yes. The fact that that Lindsay's mom is catching him doing these things. This is almost like an act of God showing her. That, uh, you know, that like don't date, you know, run in front of a bus before you let your daughter date George Costanza. Like with with Chester, when people tried to warn his wife about him. That's right. The guy tried to warn his wife, but it didn't work. (laughs) What do you what do you think? We had a conversation with Chester where where (laughs) someone someone said you have to say one word like you describe (laughs) your wife in one word. Yeah, that's first of all, that's a trap question. (laughs) But what what would ha- what would you what would you do if your wife said tonight you have to say one word about about the, to describe her beautiful, beautiful okay I, you can't go wrong it's like a catch all beautiful right what about funny would funny no work? that would not be just what you would want to hear 
Okay. And is I know, for the record, I don't answer any question that my wife asks with what is the actual answer. I don't oh, know. No, no, is, neither do I. Yeah. I'll say, don't answer me. Don't ask me rhetorical yeah, questions. That, <laughs> all of my answers to any question she asks me about anything are the answer that I think she wants to hear. Oh, I just, or don't answer. Just like plead the fifth. Or, yeah. Like, I, I would, I'll do is be like, uh, I like, didn't, what? Uh, our daughter say before like that was funny thing what would she say mm-hmm. you, know, you have to change the topic yeah, oh that's a good that's a good move too yeah no because i only have gotten in trouble for telling the truth so she has trained me to never give the truthful answer i am only just it's like i'm on jeopardy of like uh like what is the answer that she wants to hear like i'm sort of always just being quizzed i hope sean's machine is not listening <laughs> yeah <laughs> all right and then finally chester last question says You've spent a lot of time this season talking about the impact that Seinfeld has had on society at large. How many people started taking off their shirts to poop thanks to George? Now, do you think that Chester does this? I mean, he's implying that, like, how many other people? Is he implying that this has caught on, that a lot of people are doing this now? I don't think. Maybe, like, the week afterwards, people did it as a gag. But, first of all, it's not portrayed as something that leads to, you know, winning in life. Yeah. Um, I don't think anybody does it. I don't know why anybody would do it. I don't really get what the appeal of it would be. So like bathrooms, a lot of times are like the coldest room in the house. Right. So it would be like freezing in there. Right. So I don't really know what the appeal would be. But maybe if Chester has another hot take about this. Then yeah, maybe Chester, we'll- if this is something you do, you can let us know. We won't, uh, <laughs> you know, your wife also doesn't listen. You, don't worry about the algorithm. <laughs> yeah, the algorithm's not going to get Chester. No, not going to hit Chester. All right. Of course, if you want to hear more about Akiva and Chester, you can listen to them as well every week on the currently named 32 Fans in 32 Days podcast. But I know that you guys are going uh, under identity crisis right now. Yeah, because that name doesn't make sense. We (laughs) talked to fans like six months ago, but we'll probably keep it just because why change your name? Yeah, I do like the idea of that it being about a totally different topic, but keeping the name and having a bad name as a joke. I think that's kind of funny. I think we're going to do that. Yeah. All right. So, of course, what is the hashtag today, Akiva? Um, I don't know. Thank you, Falconer. <laughs> Thank you, Falconer. Okay. Good you, job. Know, you ever watch the show Sisters? On, no. Uh, no. So that was George Clooney's character's name before he became too famous and they had to kill him off in a car bomb. Falconer? Yeah, his name was Fal. I don't remember. I think it was his last name, but yeah, he was Falconer. So yeah. Car bomb is a is like that was a pretty intense way to kill someone in a nineteen nineties <laughs> television show. Yeah, I think there was a lot of that going around on TV. Really, in the nineties, there was a lot of car bomb deaths on television. Happened in Casino, right? Oh, okay, I never saw casino. like a lot of Sopranos moments uh, like that. A lot of car bombs in Sopranos. Yeah, I think so. Okay, it's like a mafia thing, I think. Yeah, maybe. I feel like now it's it's out of date. There aren't a lot of car bombs now in like the United States. I'm just making that up. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, first off, where are we going next week, Akiva? Next week we're doing we're meeting Banya. We're going to the soup. Yeah, that's gold, Akiva. Yeah, and I think uh, you want hot takes, Rob. I'm going to give you a hot take next week. I'm giving you my top 25 soups next week. Oh wow. You know, people on Twitter actually once in a while, they'll say like, whatever happened to the soup list, your favorite soups. Yeah. So you want it, you got it next week. Okay. All right. So we're getting an Akiva soup list next week. Uh, So soup for you next week, unless people don't move fast enough through the bread line. What a show this week. Thank you so much to Sean Falconer. Thank you so much to everybody who uh, has listened. Thanks so much to Scott St. Pierre, because this was not an easy show to edit. Uh, So as always, thank you so much to Scott. Thanks so much to Mike Moore who does the episode recap. 
Uh, we will be back next week to talk about what, what, which episode is it called? The Soup? The Soup. The Soup. We'll talk about that next week. Very excited about all that. Have a good week, everybody. We'll talk to you again soon. Bye.